Hey, this is Jeremy Isaacs, lead pastor of Generations Church, where we want to live like it matters. For more information about our church, you can visit us at g.church. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Thanks again for listening. Hey, I'm so thankful that you're here today. I'm thankful that you chose to be a part of Easter Sunday at Generations Church. Why don't you look to the person on your right or left and say, you look good on Easter Sunday. Look to the person that was your second choice and say, you look okay too. You look all right. You look okay. I'm wearing a tie today. Don't get used to it. I wear a tie on Easter at funerals and at weddings. So I, uh, I'm wearing a tie today. I will not next Sunday. So you can, uh, you can get ready for that. But I'm so thankful that you're here today. We've already had an incredible Easter weekend together. We started on Friday night with Good Friday Come to the Table We just uh, gathered around round tables together and we just went to God's word and we spent time in worship and we were looking to hold some elements in our hands that help us to tell the Easter story and the story of the cross and maybe some characters that were a part of those events. And so we spent just a special time Friday night and those that were here, uh, I'm so thankful you were to kick off this weekend together. And then this morning, we started early in the dark incredible team of people came and set it up so that we could gather at sunrise. And uh, there was some thought early in the week that it was going to be rainy. And then yesterday I thought, yep, maybe so. And then it was going to be cold. But uh, we had a great day today at sunrise. And we've already had one great service this morning at nine o'clock here inside. And so I'm just thankful that you chose to be here today. Uh, I think you made a good choice uh, just to to celebrate Easter together with other people. And I'm, I'm thankful that you chose to come and do that here at Generations Church Uh, There's so many great things that are taking place in the life of our church right now, and one of those that you heard about in just a a few minutes ago that's coming up next Sunday is Salsa with the Staff. Now, this is not like salsa. I don't salsa. I don't dance. I can't do it. I kind of live right here. This is all I got, you know, but uh, next week, for those that are relatively new to the church, if you've been here for a week, maybe today's your first day, or you've been here for a few months even, we would love the opportunity just to spend a few minutes with you after each of our services next Sunday. We'll have salsa and queso and chips and guac and all kinds of stuff. That's my favorite food. That's my love language. And so uh, they asked me what food I wanted. I said, Let this, let's bring salsa and chips. And so we want you to come be a part of that. If you'll register for that, it's free. It just helps us to make sure we got enough chips for you. But uh, we're going to have a good time just spending a few minutes getting to know one another. We'd love for you to do that next Sunday at Salsa with the staff. One other just kind of housekeeping thing I'd love for you to do. When you came in today, there was a response card on your seat. This is the only time all year long that we do this. We do it on Easter Sunday every year. And I'd love for you just to take that in your hand just for a second. There should be a pin nearby. If it's not on the seat, it may be in the seat back behind you or the seat in front of you there, wherever you're sitting. But if you would just take that out and just take a few moments at some point during our service today and fill that information in, I promise we won't spam you and bombard you with a bunch of stuff. It just helps us to update our records. But more importantly than that to me is the bottom of the first page there where you could put a prayer request. If there's something we can be praying with you about, uh, you can indicate if it's confidential or if we're allowed to share it with our elder couples for prayer. We believe in the power of prayer. We'd love to pray with you about specific needs that you have. And so I'd love for you to fill the front of that card out. And then on the back where it says Easter survey, there's four questions. The first three of those, I'd love for you just to take a few moments and fill out there as well. It just helps us as we're praying and planning for the remainder of our year, how we can serve you better, some, some topics that you want to hear about from God's word through the remainder of this year. And then we'll come back to question four later at the end of our time. I was thinking about today, I've been thinking about today for several months, but I was trying to come up with some things that I could share that might be a little funny. So I came up with some jokes. Some of them are funny. Some of them are not. I'll let you decide. 
But I ran across these. I thought these were good. What does the Easter bunny say before he eats? Anybody know? Let us pray. Like, let us eat. Okay, that's not funny. All right, that's fine. What do you get when you cross a bunny and a frog? Anybody know? A bunny ribbit? Ribbit? Okay, that that was not funny either. Okay. My daughter loved these. I don't know what you guys are. Who's the Easter Bunny's favorite actor? Anybody know? Rabbit De Niro? Anybody? Okay, that's all right. I I did. That's the last cheesy one, I promise. Um, But I, I I did run across a story that I thought was just interesting. Some of you may be able to relate to this. I can. I have the world's greatest mother in law, history of the world. But I heard this story about a man and his wife and his kind of cranky mother in law. They went to visit the Holy Land. And while they were there, unfortunately, she passed away. And so the undertaker says to the man, he says, well, you got two choices. You can spend $5,000 and ship her home, or we can bury her here. It'll be really nice. We'll bury her here. It'll cost you $150. The man thought about it for a few minutes, and he said, I think we're going to ship her home. The undertaker said, well, that's incredible. I mean, you must love your mother-in-law. $5,000, it's a lot. But I mean, can I ask you why? He said, well, about 2,000 years ago, you guys buried a man here in the Holy Land, and he came back, and I don't want to take that chance. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Again, I have the world's greatest mother-in-law. You would be lucky to have a mother-in-law like I have, but I am thankful that you're here on Easter Sunday. And, you know, as we talk, start talking about what Easter means and what we're celebrating and what we're talking about today, I just thought I'd go ahead and kind of give you the bottom line. Here's what we believe as a church. We believe that there was a man named Jesus that we've been singing about today who was a literal human being who came and lived on the earth, and he was 100% man, but we also believe that he was 100% God. He was the son of God, and that he was uniquely blended together. There's never been another of his kind, and we believe that he lived on this earth, and he was blameless and sinless, but he was literally arrested and crucified on an old rugged cross, and they took his body down from that cross, and they literally put him into a tomb, and they sealed that tomb up. And then on the third day, some folks showed up to the tomb, some of his friends and followers. They showed up to the tomb, and when they got there expecting to find his body in the tomb, there was no Jesus there. And we believe that he was literally resurrected from the grave. And that's what we celebrate today, and that in a nutshell is what Easter and Resurrection Sunday means to us. But there is a little bit of pressure for a guy like me. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but you know, on Easter and on Christmas, like I've got to tell you a story that you know in maybe a little different way than you've ever heard it before, perhaps. But there's a little bit of pressure, and, and I don't necessarily feel that all the time. But I did run across a very unique truth, I believe, in this story of Easter a few months ago in anticipation of today. Our staff got together to do some planning at the very beginning of this year in January, early February, and I presented to them this thought that I had been reading just a few months ago about something that I see in the story of the resurrection in each of the four Gospels. Now, when I say that, maybe you're very familiar, maybe you may, you may not be, but the four Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's the first four books of the New Testament, and those four books collect most all of the stories that are about the life and ministry of Jesus here on the earth. And so I want to read a few verses from the resurrection story in each of the four Gospels. You don't have to flip there if you don't want to. You're welcome to kind of make notes so maybe you can come back to them at some point in the future. But we are going to go to another passage that we'll spend a few more minutes in so you can go there with me. But this is what we read in Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 6. It says this. It says, he's not here. 
He's risen just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. And there you will see him. And now I have told you. In Mark chapter 16, verse 7, it says this, but go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. And there you will see him just as he told you. Luke chapter 24, verse 6 through 9 says this, He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day. And then they remembered that he had said this, so they rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. And then in John chapter 20, verse 17, it says this, Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. So in each of the four gospels, there is something very specific that's included. Maybe you caught it. Maybe you didn't. I'm not sure. But there's something very specific that's that's here in each of these four stories. And it is this, go and tell. In Matthew, in Mark, and in John, it's very explicit. Like it specifically says those words, go and tell. In Luke's gospel, it actually implies it because it doesn't say go and tell, but it says that they rushed away from the tomb to go and tell the disciples. And so I started thinking about like if something's in the Bible and I read it, and then I'm reading somewhere else and I read something again and it's kind of repeated back, I start to pay attention. If I find it a third time, I'm like, hey, he was trying to tell me something important. And if I were to see it a fourth or fifth or sixth time, like there's something that I've got to pay attention to here. I was talking to a a guy as he was walking in. I said this in the first service, but as I was thinking about my own life and my own house, If my wife says something once and maybe I miss it, but she says it a second time or she says it a third, some of you are already giggling. You know where I'm headed. If there's a, like, I got to, I got to tune in right here. That fourth time she says that my ears have got to really perk up to make sure I get what it is that she's trying to communicate. Well, that's what's taking place here in these four gospel accounts. There's, there's four different times where the resurrection story is told in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in each of those It says, go and tell. That's important to me. I think there's something that we should understand. Now, I think if you're reading that story, you might say, if you believe in the literal resurrection, which I do, we do as a church, if you believe that this is a true story, I think you might read that and go, well, of course they went and told people. Like, can you imagine this happening and you not telling? Like, no, of course you would run, tell somebody, be like, hey, we showed up this morning and we were going to anoint his body, or we were just going to kind of hang out outside the tomb. And when we showed up, he wasn't there. Like, there's a story to be told here in this account of the resurrection. But because it's in all four Gospels, I'm, I'm wondering, what is it that we should know? Because this is completely different from what Jesus told people when he was walking around on the earth and doing miracles. I want to give you a couple of examples that I'm talking about there. Mark chapter 1, verse 43 through 45 says this. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell anyone about this. But go show yourself to the priests and offer sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. And as a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Mark chapter 9 verse 9 says this, and as they were coming down the mountain, the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone 
what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Matthew chapter 12, verse 15 and 16 says this. Aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place, and a large crowd followed him, and he healed all who were sick, and he warned them not to tell others about him. Now, why would he do this? Why would Jesus tell people not to tell anybody when he healed them, but the accounts of the resurrection required them to go and tell what they had experienced? I promise I'm going to try my best to answer that question in just a moment. But before we do, I think it's important for us to, again, recognize what it is that we're talking about in this story. I want you to go, if you've got a Bible, or you've got a Bible app, I want you to go with me to the book of 1 Corinthians. It's in the New Testament. It's later than the Gospels. It's one of the letters there. You can use your table of contents or search it if you need to. 1 Corinthians, we're going to be in chapter 15. And I want us to read together a specific passage of scripture that helps to bring clarity to this resurrection story as some believers are being taught again or reminded about the truth of the resurrection. This is what we read in 1 Corinthians 15 beginning in verse 1. Let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it. It is this good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. Unless, of course, you believed something that was never true in the first place. I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried, and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures Said He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. And after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. And then he was seen by James and later by all of the apostles. Now, there's a couple of things that just jumped out to me in this 1 Corinthians passage. The first is found kind of right up front. First of all, it says, let me remind you. So for many of us, perhaps this is not brand new information But he said, hey, let me remind you, and I'm going to talk about who he's talking to in a second, but let me just remind you about the good news. And every chance that I get, I just want to remind all of us that the gospel is good news. We live in a world where people love to talk about bad news and talk about fake news, and we talk about division and disunity, and there are literally people on the planet right now who make money the more scared you are. So their job is to frighten you. Their job is to cast every narrative in a way that causes you to be afraid and to pull back and to think everything around you is bad. And let me just say to you that there's some good things happening. Like there's some good things that are happening around us. And as we love one another and care for one another, and as we shine light into the darkness, we believe that change can come. But the gospel in and of itself is good news. And it's good news because it brings change to lives. It helps those who are lost to be found. And many of us have that experience. But the gospel, he said, is good news. Christ died for our sins. He was buried and he was raised from the dead. And this letter is one of two letters that the Apostle Paul writes to a church like ours that was in the city of Corinth. And there's so many things we could unpack about that church and that city in the context of their life and ministry. But he writes two specific letters that we have in Scripture, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. And 1st Corinthians, where we're at right now, we're in chapter 15. If you were to go back just a few chapters, you're in 1st Corinthians 13. That's the love chapter. Love is patient. Love is kind. Maybe that was read at your wedding. Uh, You've got chapters 12 and 14 right here around where we're at that talks about spiritual gifts. And it helps us to understand how God works in and through people's lives for the sake of other people and for the body of Christ and the family of God and 
There's so many other things that are incredible here, but this would be like if Corey and I planted this church, we started the church, and then we left. That's not what we're doing, okay? That's not, it's like, hey, surprise. No, that's not what's happening here. Like, the, they're going to have to bury us here a long, long time from now. Like, this is our home. The roots are here. We're here with you in this. But, like, if we were to leave and we said to Pastor Aaron, hey, you take over the church. You take over the church. It's yours. And then we heard, and this would not happen. I trust him. This is, this is not. But he just started kind of leading you guys in a really weird way. He started teaching things that weren't in the Bible. He started just talking about things that weren't true and that became disorderly and chaotic in the church. And we heard about it wherever we had moved to. And so we wrote a letter back to Pastor Aaron for him to read to you as a church. Hey, let me remind you, church, of the good news of the gospel. Let me remind you that of all the things that you could do, like faith, hope, and love, but like love, Let me just remind you how spiritual gifts work. And let me remind you what it is that you're called to and what you should abstain from and what you should not abstain from and how you engage someone who's causing disunity and chaos in the body. That's that's really what Paul was doing as he writes these letters. And so in 1 Corinthians 15, he said, hey, let me just remind you what has been given to me and what I gave to you. It's the story of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a powerful story that changes lives. But as he's telling the story of the resurrection, he doesn't just say like, hey, here's a bunch of facts. He doesn't just say like, hey, let me tell you this really great narrative and story. He starts naming names. He says like, hey, Jesus appeared after the resurrection to the disciples. He he appeared to the apostles. He actually appeared at one point to over 500 people at one time. And those that have been around the church for any length of time, you know, when I was younger, I, I wanted to be in law. I wanted to be a lawyer. I wanted to help people. I wanted to help people that couldn't help themselves and help defend them. And I was thinking about maybe just kind of pursuing something in government. Like, don't hold that against me. But like, I was just like wanting to, because I just thought like in its purest form, not always, but in its purest form, it's about helping people and serving the people. And that's what I wanted to pursue when I was much younger in my life and And I love that in law, you could have a ton of evidence and you could have a ton of factual statements. You could have a ton of potentially half-truths that are presented in a case. But usually, if you have one credible eyewitness account, and for sure if you have two credible eyewitness accounts, or three, or four, or 500, it turns the entire case Because now you have people that are staking their entire reputation, their name, their credibility to say, hey, here's what I experienced. Here's what I saw from my vantage point. This is exactly what happened. And Paul is naming names here. He said, hey, in the court of public opinion, for those who are disagreeing that the resurrection is even possible, for those that are trying to determine if you would believe this, like, let me give you some names. And all you have to do, because many of them are still living at the time he writes this letter, all you got to do is go talk to those people. And they're going to tell you what they saw. They're going to tell you that Jesus showed up in their living room. They're going to tell you that Jesus showed up. It's this incredible story that Paul is saying, hey, it's not just about facts and figures. It's also about the testimony of people. And throughout history, so many people have tried to refute not just the event of the resurrection, but the power of the resurrection. 
That the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead and that same power living in us that creates life change through the power of God, the the same testimonies that you and I might be able to tell of the goodness of God. People have tried to refute so many things, but you know what they cannot refute? Your story of the power of God at work in you. They can't refute that. They cannot tell you that it is not true that you were something and through the power of God, you are something different now. They can't do that no matter how hard They try, and that's what was taking place in the early church. The church was literally exploding in growth because they were telling everyone about this miraculous demonstration of the power of God. And you and I have an unfair disadvantage, in my opinion. We cannot see the resurrected Christ, but by faith, we can see the power of the resurrection. We can see that dead marriages have been restored over and over and over again. We can see that there are those who have been sick, who have been healed. We can see that there are lost people who have been saved. You heard earlier in our service from Richard and Pam White. They're part of our church family. Corey and I have had a relationship with them now for more than 16 years. When we moved to the Atlanta area in 2007, we needed a place to live, and we moved into Richard and Pam's rental home. I hope we were good renters, but uh, we moved into their rental home, and we had two-year-old Cooper, who was playing the drums today. Corey was great with child, nine months pregnant with Branson, who was playing the bass today, and then later we would add Tucker and Kinley, but we moved in that day into that rental home, and being the husband of the year that I was, I said to my pregnant wife, hey, I know you're pregnant and you've got to have a first visit with a brand new doctor in a brand new city who's going to deliver our child into the world in a few weeks. Here's MapQuest. Why don't you go find this doctor an hour away? I'm going to stay here and help the movers. I know, I know. She's really a lucky woman. And um, (laughs) so I stayed at the rental house and unloaded with the guys. And again, we lived there in the rental house for a few months That was where our relationship began. It didn't end there. It continued over the years as they've served in ministry alongside of us and been a part, faithful part of really an extended part of our family. Now their son Aaron serves on our staff. We have friendships that run deep. You heard their story 14 months ago or so. Their daughter Brianna, who we loved. She was a part of the team when we opened our church at Sequoia High School that would show up at six o'clock in the morning. But Bree had like maybe the best job in the world on that team or maybe the worst job, depending on how you're wired. She didn't set up a single thing for the church. She watched all the little kids at the end of the hallway so their parents could set up, including us. And so about 14 months ago, we got a call late one night. Corey and I rushed to the hospital came flying in there to the parking lot of the hospital. We rushed in. We told them what we were there for, and they would not let us back. I tried everything I could to get back to where they were, but I couldn't get in. They said, hey, here's what we'll do. We'll put you in like a secondary waiting room, not out in front. We'll just kind of put you in this side room. We'll, we'll send word back, but I don't, I don't think you're going to get back there. And before the door to that waiting room closed, the back door of it opened, and the doctor walked in, and she said, you're the pastor? I said, yes, ma'am. She said, come with me. She took me out in the hallway, and before we entered into the room, she said, I need to tell you what's happening. And she walked me through all of the test results that they had already done and all the observation and all the things 
that they were feeling and thinking and all that medical science was proving to them at that point. And she said, I want you to be in the room when I go in and talk to the family. We walked into a room, and I don't know what I was expecting, but we walked into a worship service. There was a phone laying on the end of the bed declaring praise to God, and Richard and Pam were walking around that room praying and seeking the power of God for healing for their daughter, laying hands on her and laying hands on that bed and kneeling in the floor and standing up and declaring that, God, you're good, and you promised us, and we cling to that promise, and we cling to that hope, and... You heard the way that the story transpired. The rest of the family arrived. We prayed with full faith and confidence that God would heal Bree. And she did receive her healing, but not the way we were praying. And so eventually they made the difficult decision at the advice of the doctors and the nurses, all that medical science could do, the courageous decision. And they unhooked the ventilator and Bree passed from this life into the next. And we stood with them and tried our best to serve them and love them. And they cried and they asked all the questions that you may have asked or you would ask if you were in those moments. God, why? We don't understand. We've prayed. We've been faithful. We've done everything we know to do. What what good could possibly come from this? And there aren't really answers to those types of questions. And then they said, hey, we we want her funeral to be a worship service. I thought, man, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how you do that. But we did, and they stood with such boldness and faith and confidence and declared the goodness of God at their 25-year-old daughter's funeral. Her husband and her siblings, they gathered there. They asked me, they said, we want you to present the gospel and give people a chance to respond. And we did that day, and at least 11 people accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And you go, well, maybe, maybe there is some good, and we, we cling to that hope. But it's tough. Over these last 14 months, I've watched them serve so faithfully. They, they came back to church pretty quickly. And I remember the very first Sunday they were back in church, they stood right over here and they prayed for people's needs as an elder in our church, even as they were hurting. How do you do that? How do you do that? When your sisters passed away, how do you continue to serve faithfully, love people well, give your best 100% of the time? Like, How do you do that? The only way that you can possibly do that is when you believe that death is not the end. That's not trying to sound like some positive speaking, motivational speaker. It is the words that we sung just a few moments ago that we cling to with great hope and confidence that because he lives, I can face tomorrow. It's the only way that we can. It's the only way that we can trust and believe. And that's really what Paul was saying to us in 1 Corinthians. He said to us as he was unpacking what this means to us and what resurrection power is all about. He said this in chapter 15, verse 14. He says, and if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless. And your faith is useless. He goes on to say in verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. And just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 probably sums it up. 
maybe even in a more succinct way when it says this beginning in verse 13. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring him back with the believers who have died. It's the only hope we have. Not just in death, but in death proving to us that there is nothing more powerful than him. And so I don't know what you're facing today. I don't know what problems you're walking through. I don't know what things are coming against you and what the enemy's trying to use to destroy your life. But the resurrection proves to us that we have hope. It's the linchpin of our faith. If there was any power that was stronger than his power, what are we believing in? What are we worshiping? What are we singing about? But we are singing to a God who has the power to raise dead things back to life. The one who gives us hope for a future that we can't yet see. It's where our faith is grounded. It's where the story that we have is worth telling. And we do have a story to tell. We've witnessed it. So many of you have witnessed the goodness of God. And you should be declaring that goodness to the generations to come. Those miracles that Jesus was performing, that he wanted him to keep secret, like why? What did he do? If this side over here is Jesus doing a miracle, a blind guy is standing right in front of Jesus. He kneels down in the dirt and he spits in the dirt and he makes mud and he heals the blinded eye and he can see. He says, hey, don't tell anybody. He encounters a woman at a well He says, hey, go get your husband. She said, well, I don't have a husband. He said, yeah, and the guy you're living with right now, he's not your husband. You kind of had these five relationships in the past, but I'm telling you there's something different about me and what I can provide to you and the living water. And she runs off and she says, come meet the man who told me everything I ever did. The lame present themselves and they can walk. But it seems like over and over again, maybe not in every instance, but over and over again, he's like, hey, don't tell anybody because it made his ministry more difficult. But even beyond that, it was an individual encounter. It was a one-on-one conversation. It was one need being met by one savior in that moment. It was a woman crawling through the crowd to reach out and touch the hem of his garment because she knew if I can just get to him, everything will be different. Crowds continued to grow. But it was these one-on-one moments and interactions. But the resurrection is something different because it's for everybody all at once. Go and tell. You know somebody that has a marriage that's on the rocks? Tell them there's hope that dead things can be resurrected. You know somebody whose life seems purposeless and who doesn't, they don't have a clue of what tomorrow could even look like? Like, go and tell them about the resurrection. It's for everybody all at once. So all of us who have experienced the power of the resurrection should go and tell. Because what it proved to us is that this once for all time sacrifice, Jesus Christ, was raised from the dead. And now anything is possible for everyone who believes. And so here's the question on this Easter Sunday for all of us. What do you need God to do? What do you need God to do? Maybe you don't know me. If you don't, I hope you'll stop by that door. I want to meet you. 
But here's what you need to know about me. Good or bad. I mean, you love it or you hate it. I usually see the best in most situations. Not every day. Not every moment, not every conversation, not everything that's ever happened. But you just got to know that in this moment, I promise you, I'm being as authentic as I can to tell you that I believe that whatever you need from God, you can find in him. I believe it with all of my heart. And so whatever you need from him today, Easter Sunday proves to me that the same power who raised Jesus from the dead is available to you and to me. So what do you need from God? What do you need God. My prayer today is that you experience the resurrection power of God today, right now, in this moment. And then you cannot help but to go and tell. You can't keep this story to yourself. You can't keep it inside. You can't keep it bottled up. You say, my life was a mess, but let me tell you about the resurrection. You say, my marriage was in shambles, but let me tell you a resurrection story. I was an addict, but do I have a story to tell you? Because we are a go and tell people. I want you, before we pray in just a moment, I want you to take that response card back out. The only time all year we do it like this, but I'm asking you to participate if you would, everybody in the room. We need to take that response card back out. I gave you some information there. You can fill out the information. Let us know how to pray for you and update your information. Maybe respond to those first three questions. But I want you to look at question number four. And I want you to determine if there's a next step for you to take. Do you need to be baptized? Go public with your faith, maybe that you've previously decided or you're deciding right now to accept him as the Lord and Savior of your life? Check that box. We'll follow up, give you the information. Baptism's in just a few weeks. You're looking for a place to serve and connect and belong. Check that box. We'll help you to take that step. I want everybody to take a step of some kind, but I want you to look at the very bottom of the card, A, B, C, and D. I'm going to give you some instructions, and I'm asking you to participate if you would, if you'd do me that honor. If today you came in, and in this moment as you look at this card, you say, hey, I'm already in a relationship with Jesus. Just check box A. I'm already in a relationship with him. Not, not just I prayed a prayer back there sometime, but like I'm in a relationship with him. I, I'm talking to him. I'm praying. I'm letting him lead and guide my life. I'm already in that kind of relationship. Maybe you would say, I'm I'm beginning one of those relationships right now. I'm actually doing that. I'm starting a relationship today. I'm, I'm choosing to follow him and to ask him to forgive my sins and to be the Lord of my life. Maybe for the first time or the first time in a long time. I'm just, I'm beginning that. Maybe you say, hey, I'm, I'm considering it, but, but not right now. I would love for you just to be honest and check, check that C right there and just say, hey, I'm, I'm open to it. I'm thinking about it, but I'm, I'm not there yet, so I'm just considering it. And maybe box D requires the most honesty from any of us. And you say, hey, I don't think I'm ever going to make that decision. I don't think that's anything I'll ever do. I'm here. I promised somebody I would be here. I came with somebody. They, they asked me to come or they made me come, and I'm here, but I don't ever think I'm going to ever make that call. Just check the box, A, B, C, or D. We're going to pray in just a moment. And I encourage you to respond even with an uplifted hand and as we pray. But we want to capture on that card where you feel like you are in your spiritual journey. Kind of see where we are as a church, church family. I'm going to ask you once you've completed that, just to bow your heads right where you're at. 
In a few moments, they'll pass a bucket. You can drop it in there, take it to the information center. But right now, we're done with the cards, and this is just a moment of reflection between you and God. If you would say to me, Jeremy, for me, I'm one of those people you were just talking about. I'm not in a relationship with God. I, I need him to forgive my sins, and I need him to be the Lord of my life. And I need that to happen today. If that's you, would you just lift your hand right where you're at? I want to pray for you. Thank you so much. Anybody else? Thank you so much. Thank you so much. In a moment when we pray, I'm just going to give you some instructions. But all you need to know is that as soon as you acknowledge your need for him, just say, God, I need you. Forgive my sins. Be my Lord. We believe he does that. So we'll pray together in a moment. But if you would just say to me, Jeremy, for me, it's, it's not necessarily about salvation. But I want to be a go and tell kind of person. I don't want to keep it inside. Maybe there's some things I need God to do in my life, and I want that to happen. I want to witness the resurrection power in an area of my life, and so I'm asking God to do that. But whenever I experience resurrection or what I've already experienced, I want to be able to tell some folks about it. If that's you, would you just lift your hand? My hand's lifted today. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for Easter. We thank you for the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, your son. God, we pray right now for every single person that lifted their hand to say that they are accepting you as the Lord and Savior of their life. And if that's you, if you did that, I'm I'm telling you right now, all you have to say is, God, forgive my sins and be my Lord. Help me to live in relationship with you. And we believe it'll do that. We'll celebrate with heaven right now for that decision that you're making. And now if you would say, you know, the, the people that have already said, I need... God, to do something in my life. I need resurrection power, and I want to be a go-and-tell kind of person. God, would, we, would you just help all of us to live that out? We lifted our hands to acknowledge our need for that. God, would you just show up in these circumstances and then give us the confidence and boldness to go and tell, to declare the goodness of who you are. And God, will give you all the glory and all the honor for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening. If today's message was an encouragement to you, we invite you to share it with your friends and family. Maybe subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It just helps us spread the word about what God's doing here at Generations Church. For more information about the church, visit us at g.church. Have a great day, and God bless.